Welcome to Bandcamp. My name is Dan. And I'm Jennifer. And this is the podcast where we read banned books to try to find out why they were banned in the first place. This season, we are reading The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain. There will absolutely be spoilers ahead because we're literally reading the book out loud. So if you don't want to be spoiled, head over to season four, episode one of Bandcamp and catch up. Also, please feel free to join the discussion with us on Instagram. You can follow us at Bandcamp underscore podcast. We'll put a direct link in our show notes. And before we start, let's introduce the third member of our team, our trusty robot, to give us a brief overview of where we left off on the last episode. Last time on Bandcamp, we saw Huck's disguise unravel as Judith Loftus saw through it instantly, plunging him and Jim into deeper peril. This revelation kickstarts a frenzied escape, steering them onto the moonlit Mississippi. Their journey is now a race against time and suspicion. What twists await our daring pair? You're about to hear it. Let's begin. Huckleberry or Huckleberry Finn, Chapter 12. Does it not bother you, robot, that we make fun of you like that, <laughs> Huckleberry? I am a simple AI language model. I pronounce the words as they are written. It is not my fault that Mark Twain spelled the name Huckleberry so as it would be pronounced Huckleberry. So with that being said, Let's begin chapter 12. It must have been close on to one o'clock when we got below the island at last, and the raft did seem to go mighty slow. If a boat was to come along, we was going to take to the canoe and break for the Illinois shore. And it was well a boat didn't come, for we hadn't ever thought to put the gun in the canoe, or a fishing line, or anything to eat. So they are going down in tandem with the raft. Yeah, they hook their canoe onto the raft. It's like a trailer hitch, really. Yeah. We was in rather too much of a sweat to think of so many things. It weren't good judgment to put everything on the raft. If the men went to the island, I just expect they found the campfire I built and watched it all night for Jim to come. Anyways, they stayed away from us, and if my building the fire never fooled them, it weren't no fault of mine. I played it as low down on them as I could. Okay, so it's a decoy fire. They left a fire there. Clearly, Huck's a pretty cunning little guy. Yeah, he's sharp. When the first streak of day began to show, we tied up to a towhead in a big bend on the Illinois side and hacked off cottonwood branches with the hatchet and covered up the raft with them so she looked like there had been a cave-in in the bank there. A towhead is a sandbar that has cottonwoods on it as thick as harrow teeth. We had mountains on the Missouri shore and heavy timber on the Illinois side, and the channel was down the Missouri shore at that place, so we weren't afraid of anybody running across us. We laid there all day and watched the rafts and steamboats spin down the Missouri shore, and upbound steamboats fight the big river in the middle. I told Jim all about the time I was jabbering with that woman, and Jim said she was a smart one. And if she was to start after us herself, she wouldn't sit down and watch a campfire. No, sir, she'd fetch a dog. Well, then I said, why couldn't she tell her husband to fetch a dog? Jim said he bet she did think of it by the time the men were ready to start. And he believed they must have gone uptown to get a dog. And so they lost all that time or else we wouldn't be here on a towhead 16 or 17 mile below the village. No, indeedy, we would be in that same old town again. So I said I didn't care what was the reason they didn't get us as long as they didn't. Did Jim bring the magic hairball? Well, what happened to the hairball? There's so many times I would have broken out the hairball 
mm-hmm. every second of the day. If I lay down on my bed and a rattlesnake bites me, oh God, I'm going to die. Hold on a second. Oh, magic hairball, please tell me, am I going to die because a snake bit me? Yeah, I think it's weird it came up once and then that was it. I thought it would play a, a more prominent role in the story. When it was beginning to come on dark, we poked our heads out of the cottonwood thicket and looked up and down and across. Nothing in sight. So Jim took up some of the top planks of the raft and built a snug wigwam to get under in blazing weather and rainy and to keep the things dry. A wigwam, Dan. Is that like a teepee? It's a wigwam. I grew up in a little town in Wisconsin called West Bend. And just a few miles north of West Bend was Kewaskum. And in Kewaskum, we had the world famous, and by world, I mean Kewaskum famous, wigwam restaurant. It looked like a tent. Are you serious? That sounds fun. True or false, Jennifer? That is where I had my first organ recital. Oh, nice. You should have seen me. K-Sarah, Sarah. Was that the song? But it, yeah, absolutely. Holy cow. Absolutely. I can't think of anything more Wisconsin than that. Hilarious. Was there a fish fry that night? Uh, yeah, of course. There was fish fry. Friday night fish fry and organ recital taught by Corrine Malderauer, featuring her first hour class. <laughs> Dan Schultz, number three. Kesara, Sara, whatever will be, will be. It's a wigwam. Okay. The wigwam. Jim made a floor for the wigwam and raised it a foot or more above the level of the raft. So now the blankets and all the traps was out of reach of steamboat waves. Right in the middle of the wigwam, we made a layer of dirt about five or six inches deep with a frame around it for to hold it to its place. This was to build a fire on in sloppy weather or chilly. The wigwam would keep it from being seen. We made an extra steering oar, too, because one of the others might get broke on a snag or something. We fixed up a short forked stick to hang the old lantern on, because we must always light the lantern whenever we see a steamboat coming downstream to keep from getting run over. But we wouldn't have to light it for upstream boats unless we see we was in what they call a, quote, crossing. For the river was pretty high yet, very low banks being still a little underwater. So upbound boats didn't always run the channel, but hunted easy water. Boy, he has a way of talking about water and the direction of water and the ways of water. Well, you know what? Mark Twain obviously wasn't his real name. You know what? Everyone knows the story, Dan. (laughs) Well, but that shouldn't surprise you that he's really into water trivia. (laughs) (laughs) It's a little detailed. Okay. Got it. You like water? This second night, we run between seven and eight hours with a current. Oh, they were were traveling that long? They must be far away by then. Seven or eight hours? Yeah. Is that what that means? I don't know. I, I'm reading this book and I don't understand what it means until like two or three paragraphs later. It's my dumb, dumb brain. This night we run between seven and eight hours with a current that was making over four mile an hour. So at least 28 miles. 28. Yeah. Pretty good. We catched fish and talked and we took a swim now and then to keep off sleepiness It was kind of solemn, drifting down the big still river, laying on our backs, looking up at the stars, 
and we didn't ever feel like talking aloud, and it weren't often that we left, only a little kind of low chuckle. We had mighty good weather as a general thing, and nothing ever happened to us at all. That night, nor the next, nor the next. Well, this sounds pleasant. They're having a little friendship. Sounds nice. They're floating downstream. Now, does that mean they're floating south? I thought Jim didn't want to go south. Wouldn't they? Does the Mississippi flow upwards? No, it flows downwards, right? Yeah. Doesn't it actually empty out in Louisiana near New Orleans? Oh, my God, my geography. I'm 46 years old, and I don't know where the Mississippi empties out. The Mississippi Delta, right? Good job, Jennifer. You are correct. The Mississippi River begins its journey in Lake Etasca in northern Minnesota. It flows southward for over 2,300 miles. The river empties into the Gulf of Mexico through the Mississippi Delta near New Orleans. This route remains largely unchanged since Huck Finn's era. Every night we pass towns. Some of them away up on black hillsides, nothing but just a shiny bed of lights. Not a house could you see. The fifth night we passed St. Louis, and it was like the whole world lit up. In St. Petersburg, they used to say there was 20 or 30,000 people in St. Louis. But I never believed it till I see that wonderful spread of lights at 2 o'clock that still night. There weren't a sound there. Everybody was asleep. So they keep their lights on there. But it's it's all candlelight, right? That's kind of weird. Every night now, I used to slip ashore toward 10 o'clock at some little village and buy 10 or 15 cents worth of meal or bacon or other stuff to eat. And sometimes I lifted a chicken that weren't roosting comfortable and took him along. (laughs) Chicken stealer. God. Pap always said, take a chicken when you get a (laughs) (laughs) chance. My pap always said. Take a chicken when you get a chance. <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny to me. It's such a great dad giving sage advice to his kid. <laughs> Always take a chicken when you get a chance, because if you don't want him yourself, you can easily find somebody that does, and a good deed ain't ever forgotten. When you stole a chicken! <laughs> I never see Pap when he didn't want the chicken himself, but that is what he used to say anyway. Mornings before daylight, I slipped into cornfields and borrowed a watermelon or a mushmelon or a pumpkin or some new corn. Pap always said it weren't no harm to borrow things if he was meaning to pay them back sometime. But the widow said it weren't anything but a soft name for stealing and no decent body would do it. Jim said he reckoned the widow was partly right and Pap was partly right. So the best way would be for us to pick out two or three things from the list and say we wouldn't borrow them anymore. Then he reckoned it wouldn't be no harm to borrow the others. Well, how's he reckon that? Split it down the middle? Well, Jim's logic is flawed. (laughs) I know. (laughs) So we talked it over all one night, drifting along down the river, trying to make up our minds whether to drop the watermelons or the cantaloupes or the mushmallows. Mushmelons. (laughs) But toward daylight, we got it all settled satisfactory and concluded to drop crab apples and persimmons. We weren't feeling just right before that, but it was all comfortable now. I was glad the way it came out too, because crab apples ain't ever good and the persimmons wouldn't be ripe for two or three months yet. We shot a waterfowl now and then that got up too early in the morning or didn't go to bed early enough in the evening. Take it all around, we lived pretty high. Okay, so they're, they're doing good traveling mm-hmm. down the river yeah. so they're getting yeah. away from st petersburg they're it sounds like they're getting quite like their plan is they're not going to be on the island anymore no 
They're done with yeah, the island. Yeah, they're done with the island. They're uh, going south to freedom. To New Orleans? <laughs> what the heck? They're going south to the belly of the beach, but ironically, where Jim did not want to go. That is why he ran away. The fifth night below St. Louis, we had a big storm after midnight with a power of thunder and lightning, and the rain poured down in a solid sheet. We stayed in the wigwam and let the raft take care of itself. When the lightning glared out, we could see a big straight river ahead and high rocky bluffs on both sides. By and by, says I, hello, Jim, looky yonder. It was a steamboat that had killed herself on a rock. We was drifting straight down for her. The lightning showed her very distinct. She was leaning over with part of her upper deck above water, and you could see every little chimney guy clean and clearer, and a chair by the big bell with an old slouch hat hanging on the back of it. Well, it being away in the night and stormy, and all so mysterious-like, I felt just the way any other boy have felt when I seen that wreck laying there so mournful and lonesome in the middle of the river. Is it abandoned? Or did this just yeah, happen? Yeah, it, I want to I go on that old crashed steamboat. That sounds awesome. <laughs> in a storm, it sounds I know. spooky. Yeah, I would totally do that. I wanted to get aboard of her and slink around a little and see what there was there. So I says, let's land on her, Jim. But Jim was dead against it at first. He says, I don't want to go foolin' long air no whack wreck. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I can't do, I can't do Jim. I'll try to do Jim. We's doin' blame well, and we better let blame well alone, as de good book says. Like is not days a watchman on dat rack. Oh my God, so hard. I feel like such a fool reading this. But I will embarrass myself for the sake of this book being out there and into your little earbuds. Jennifer Davis, ladies and gentlemen, she does not get enough credit. Watchman, your grandmother, I says, there ain't nothing to watch but the Texas and the pilot house. And do you reckon anybody's going to risk his life for a Texas and a pilot house such a night as this, when it's likely to break up and wash off down the river any minute? Jim couldn't say nothing to that, so he didn't try. And besides, I says, we might borrow something worth having out of the captain's stateroom. Cigars, I bet you, and cost five cents apiece, solid cash. Steamboat captains is always rich, and they get $60 a month, and they don't care a cent what a thing costs, you know, long as they want it. Stick a candle in your pocket. I can't rest, Jim, till we give her a rummaging. Do you reckon Tom Sawyer would ever go buy this thing? Not for pie, he wouldn't. Not for pie, he wouldn't. I like that. He'd call it an adventure. That's what he'd call it. And he'd land on that wreck if it was his last act. And wouldn't he throw style into it? Wouldn't he spread himself? Nor nothing. Why, you'd think it was Christopher Columbus discovering Kingdom Come. I wish Tom Sawyer was here. What if they get on the boat and Tom Sawyer's there? That would be too convenient. Yeah. Jim, he grumbled a little, but give in. He said we mustn't talk any more than we could help, and then talk mighty low. The lightning showed us the wreck again, just in time, and we fetched the stabber Derek and made fast there. The deck was high out here. We went sneaking down the slope of it to the labbard in the dark, towards the Texas, feeling our way slow with our feet and spreading our hands out to fend off the guys, for it was so dark we couldn't see no sign of them. The guys? Are there guys on Who this boat? Who are the boat? guys? Pretty soon we struck the forward end of the skylight and clumb onto it, and the next step fetched us in front of the captain's door. 
which was open. And by Jiminy, away down through the Texas Hall, we see a light. And all in the same second, we seem to hear low voices in yonder. So th there are, there are guys. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Jim whispered and said he was feeling powerful sick and told me to come along. And I says, all right, and was going to start for the raft. But just then I heard a voice wail out and say, oh, please don't, boys. I swear I won't ever tell. Another voice said pretty loud, it's a lie, Jim Turner. You've always acted this way before. You always want more in your share of the truck, and you've always got it, too, because you've swore it. If you didn't, you tell. But this time you've said it just once too many. You're the meanest, treacherous, dis... I'm falling apart. Please help, robot. <laughs> Activating GenBot 9000, the artificial intelligence human voice clone. Referencing Davis, Jennifer, Marie, file library location 769 or Alpha Henry BD 6541. Booting Jennifer's voice clone. Another voice said pretty loud, It's a lie, Jim Turner. You've acted this way before. You always want more in your share of the truck. And you've always got it, too, because you've swore to if you didn't, you'd tell. But this time you've said it just. One time too many. You're the meanest, treacherousest town in this country. By this time, Jim was gone for the raft. I was just debiling with curiosity. And I says to myself, Tom Sawyer wouldn't back out now. And so I won't either. I'm a going to see what's going on here. So I dropped on my hands and knees in the little passage and crept aft in the dark till there weren't but one stateroom betwixt me and the cross hall of the Texas. Then and there, I... Oh, so people should know Texas is a part of a riverboat, a steamboat. Did you know that? I did because at one point in my life, I wanted to know what all the meanings of the states were. So I looked up all oh. the meanings of the states and, and I was like, oh, and then I used it as it's a really good Scrabble word. I've used it in Scrabble at least a dozen times. Really? Because it's got that X in there. Market research question. Would you guys listen to a limited series podcast where we talk about, and by we, I mean, I listen to Jennifer talk about the reasons the states have their names and then I do whatever this is that I do here. No one wants to hear what the names. I mean, maybe I was interested at some point in my life. That's what I mean. I was a very lonely 16-year-old. I would do things like look up the meaning of state names. Then and there, I see a man stretched on the floor and tied hand and foot and two men standing over him. And one of them had a dim lantern in his hand and the other one had a pistol. Oh, this is getting dangerous. I'll tell you, this Huck Finn... He does not look for trouble, but trouble seems to find him. Every chance this guy gets, right? What is it? I mean, this is a real thing. This isn't like playing robbers yeah, yeah. in a cave. This is like real robbers. This one kept pointing the pistol at the man's head on the floor and saying, I'd like to, and I order to, a mean skunk. The man on the floor would shrivel up and say, Oh, please don't, Bill. I ain't ever going to tell. And every time he said that, the man with the lantern would laugh and say, Deed you ain't. You never said no truer thing than that. You bet you. And once he said, Hear him beg. And yet if he hadn't got the best of him and tied him, he'd have killed us both. And what for? Just for nothing. Just because we stood on our rights. That's what for. But I lay you ain't a going to threaten nobody anymore, Jim Turner. Put up that pistol, Bill. 
Bill says, I don't want to, Jake Packard. I'm for killing him, and didn't he kill old Hatfield just the same way? And don't he deserve it? But I don't want him killed, and I've got my reasons for it. Bless your heart for them words, Jake Packard. I'll never forget you as long as I live, says the man on the floor, sort of blubbering. Packard didn't take no notice of that, but hung up his lantern on a nail and started toward where I was, there in the dark, and motioned Bill to come. I crawfished as fast as I could about two yards, but the boat slanted so that I couldn't make very good time. So to keep from getting run over and catched, I crawled into the stateroom on the upper side. The man came a pawing along in the dark, and when Packard got to my stateroom, he says, Here, come in here, oh man. <laughs> God. And in he come, and Bill after him. But before they got in, I was up in the upper berth, cornered, and sorry I had come. Then they stood there, with their hands on the ledge of the berth, and talked. I couldn't see them, but I could tell where they was by the whiskey they'd been having. I was glad I didn't drink whiskey, but it wouldn't make much difference anyway, because most of the time they couldn't treat me because I didn't breathe. Couldn't they couldn't treat me. I guess it means that they wouldn't know where he was. They wouldn't find him. A treed. Yeah. And besides, a body couldn't breathe and hear such talk. They talked low and earnest. Bill wanted to kill Turner. He said he'll tell, and he will. If we was to give both our shares to him now, it wouldn't make no difference after the row and the way we've served him. Sure as you're born, help turn state's evidence. Now you hear me. I'm for putting him out of his troubles. So am I, says Packard, very quiet. Blame it. I'd sort of begun to think you wasn't. Well then, that's all right. Let's go and do it. Hold on a minute. I hain't had my say yet. You listen to me. Shooting's good, but there's quieter ways if the thing's got to be done. But what I say is this. It ain't good sense to go courting around after a halter if you can get at what you're up to in some way that's just as good and at the same time don't bring you into no risks. Ain't that so? Wow, that was tough. So I guess he's got a different way of killing this guy that is less yeah. risky. Yeah. Could have just said it more simple. But yeah. That's fine. I'll just, yeah. okay. You bet it is. But how are you going to manage it this time? Well, my idea is this. We'll wrestle around and gather up whatever pickings we've overlooked in the staterooms and shove for shore and hide the trap. Then we'll wait. Now I say it ain't a going to be more than two hours before this wreck breaks up and washes off down the river. So they, they just want him to drown. Well, then why not just push him overboard? He's tied up. Yeah. Uh, Hit him anyway. in head, knock him out, drown. All right. Well, th this is their plan. Let him go down with the ship. Okay. He'll be drowned and won't have nobody to blame for it but his own self. I reckon that's a considerable sight better in killing of him. I'm unfavorable to killing a man as long as you can get around it. It ain't good sense. It ain't good morals. Ain't I right? Yes, I reckon you are. But suppose she don't break up and wash off. Well, we can wait the two hours anyway and see, can't we? All right then, come along. So they started and I lit out, all in a cold sweat and scrambled forward. It was dark as pitch there, but I said in a kind of a coarse whisper, Jim, and he answered up right at my elbow with a sort of a moan, and I says, Quick, Jim, it ain't no time for fooling around and moaning. There's a gang of murderers in yonder, and if we don't hunt up their boat and set her drifting down the river so these fellows can't get away from the wreck, there's one of them going to be in a bad fix. But if we find their boat, we can put all of them in a bad fix, for the sheriff will get them. Quick, hurry. I'll hunt the labboard side, and you hunt the stabboard. 
You start out the rough and, oh my lordy lordy, raft? They ain't no raft no more. She done broke loose and gone. And here we is. End of chapter. They're there without their raft. The raft let free. And there they are without all their stuff. Like they said, it's a bad idea to put all their stuff in the other raft. They'll find it. I, I don't know if they will, but they'll do something because this is an adventure book. One story ends, another one begins. Multifold adventure. The first part is us trying to read the first 90% of every friggin' chapter and get through it. And then the last 10% is truly a fun story. I don't mean to complain. I really am enjoying the book. It's just, it would be so much more delightful to just read it and not speak it is really hard to read out loud. It's so hard. I know, Jennifer, but that podcast would be so boring. <laughs> Just <laughs> Welcome to Bandcast. My name's Dan, and I'm Jen, and this is where I'm going to read to myself a banned book, <laughs> try to figure out why it was banned, and then the music will come on, and then... Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Oh, cheap. Hmm. It's time for PPP. <laughs> Problematic points to ponder. What, if anything, would be considered banworthy in this chapter? I didn't hear any N-words. I didn't read anything that I think would be banworthy in that chapter. Look, there are 43 chapters in this book. It's got a bunch of uh, fun adventure chapters. Good job, Mark Twain. From banworthy to binge-worthy. Most food reviewers detail the intricacies of bites so delicious no one could possibly afford to try them. But the Fine Dining Podcast? It's for the rest of us, baby. Join me, your host, Michael Ornelas, as I weather the caloric avalanche of every chain restaurant in America in search of which one is the most mediocre, a title they don't even realize they're vying for. Are you brave enough to hit up a Waffle House at midnight? I am. Are you willing to eat menu items with words like explosion and volcano in the name? I say bring it on. Does your Google search history include the phrase, am I dying if my fingers go numb and I black out while watching the corporate mandated line dance at Texas Roadhouse? <laughs> yeah, me neither. But the search for the perfect 5.00 dining experience out of 10 is my life's mission, and I won't stop until I find it for you. It's not fine dining, but it's fine. Check out Fine Dining, the search for the most mediocre restaurant in America, wherever you get your podcasts. All right. We've caused enough literary chaos for today. Thank you for listening, you scary book people, you. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with one person to whom it would add value. Bandcamp is produced and hosted by Dan Schultz and me, Jennifer Davis. All media used in this production was done so under the protection of fair use. See you guys next time. See you next time.